Welcome to Earth Day, and welcome to KUOW's Week in Review. I'm Bill Radke. Stick with us this hour, and we'll make you smart about what happened this week. What's the important stuff to know about it? You get three local journalists. Seattle Times transportation reporter David Croman. Hiya, David. Hi, Bill. Political analyst and contributing columnist Joni Balter. Hi, Joni. Hi there. Seattle Channel host and producer Brian Callanan. Hi, Brian. Hey, Bill. Good to see you. It's good to see all of you. This week, our flight attendants became newscasters delivering this breaking news update. April 18th, the Biden administration announced that the Transportation Security Administration will no longer enforce the federal mandate requiring masks in all U.S. airports and onboard aircraft. A federal judge. Finally, yells a passenger, because a federal judge in Florida threw out the mask mandate for public transportation. It's going to be appealed, but uh, airlines, including Seattle-based Alaska Air, quickly switched to mask optional. If an airline banned you for refusing to wear a mask, your ban is lifted as long as you didn't assault anybody. This passenger, Tommy Hunter, landed at SeaTac and told KOW that it wasn't just the passengers celebrating on board. There was cheering, and you know what was really interesting is that the flight attendants all gathered up in the front of the plane and hugged and cried. It's been a hard two years for them having to manage people in that whole situation. You also no longer have to wear a mask on public transit around Puget Sound. But having said that, we still recommend masks, even though it's not mandated. That's your state epidemiologist there. So, David Croman, your transportation reporter, did all the local transit agencies drop the mask rule? Are there any holdouts? I haven't seen any holdouts, no. Um, I'm the, the first 24 hours was, was kind of hair-pulling for me as a reporter because it, the reaction initially was uh, mostly that they were going to keep their requirements in place, even if there wasn't going to be a lot of enforcement, um, you know, King County Metro in particular came out with like kind of this long blog post about, um, you know, ba- basically that we don't know what the next legal steps are going to look like. This could get overturned on appeals. And I, I think uh, was a little weary at first of doing one thing and then kind of needing to go back to the other. But uh, then enough transit agencies, um, you know, in Pierce County and Snohomish County and Kitsap started saying that they were going to not have this requirement anymore. And I think I think it was kind of um, starting to look like it was going to be this really patchwork system. And if there's anything people in transportation don't like is uh, too much patchwork. And so then they actually all came out, eight, eight transit agencies in the area came out together uh, and put out a joint statement saying that they would no longer be required. Who can tell us why the White House is bothering to appeal this ruling. I mean, talk about harder mm. than ever to go backward. Yeah, it does feel like the toothpaste is out of the tube, doesn't it? It's And it's been interesting to watch this play out around the country. I think the city of Philadelphia, we just saw this over the course of the last 24 hours, they ended up lifting the mandate. They had just reinstated less than a week ago. So yeah. I think there's going to be some growing pains clearly with this. I'm not quite sure what the Justice Department is up to, too. But clearly, there's a lot of political pressure now dealing with this public health issue. And I guess the the piece that I draw away from this is I'm not 100 percent sure if we are, quote unquote, out of the pandemic. And I don't think we have enough data to really tell if that's the case. Not as many people are testing right now. If they do test, they're doing home testing. Those numbers don't always get reported. So in terms of the very scary numbers that we're dealing with here in the U.S., 
near a million deaths from COVID here. I don't know if we have enough data really to know exactly where we are. So yes, we're seeing these mask mandates start to drop from different transit agencies, but I'm not quite sure what that's going to mean in terms of the numbers and, and where we actually see the pandemic go. Well, I think it's the principle of the thing. And I think that's the reason the Biden administration is appealing this. Um, I might be wrong on this, but I think the CDC knows more than a, than a federal judge in, in Florida about what we should do. We, we don't know enough about what's going to happen next with COVID. That's why everybody's so confused, so understandably confused. Like, you know, you, you can look at um, what, what the case numbers and you'll see cases going up nationally, 30,000 to 45 new, th- new cases. That's up 55%. But people are changing how they view those numbers. They're now looking way more at hospitalizations and deaths because, you know, it's a different type of um, variant right now. But we don't know what the next variant is going to look like. And I think what the principle for the Biden administration would be is simply to preserve the right to be able to make rules. And then that's, I think that's the key thing here. Are you going to have the CDC decide these things? Are you going to have judges around the country deciding? Odds that this gets overturned, any opinion? Man, it certainly wouldn't be politically popular if, if it were. But uh, I, that, that's I, I never like to predict court cases. Yeah, Those are enough. the toughest things here. But okay. th- this is something that has the political overtones and the public health overtones and bringing in the ju- judiciary here. This is a situation where the court basically said that the CDC overstepped its bounds here. So yeah. that's going to be the legal issue that's on the table here. And we'll we'll see what the courts do on this one. I. I think it's a little bit of a crapshoot, but again, when the toothpaste is out of the tube, it's a lot, a lot more difficult to put it back in. Yeah, my, my sense of the, uh, this ruling was, you know, it basically the the authorities laid out to the Centers for Disease Control. It sort of listed a few specific things, and then kind of had this et cetera part. And the the judge, from my understanding, from what I read, is kind of just fo- focused on the specific things and found that you know sanitization or whatever does not apply you know, that mask wearing doesn't uh, relate to things being sanitized. So it was, but it was, the the short and skinny of it was, it was kind of um, creating this more narrow definition of what the CDC is allowed to do. And so then it kind of creates this legal calculation on the part of the Biden administration. I mean, maybe, you know, the the mask mandate on public transportation was set to expire on May 3rd anyway. It was not it was not long. Right, for this but you world. thought you thought maybe that they would extend it just for the simple reason that ca- case numbers are rising and, and people at least, maybe at least yeah. have the right. Bill came into the studio today with his mask on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Maybe, but I, I was gonna, you know, I was gonna say that that there's also some sort of legal gamesmanship here, which is they're gonna want to regulate things in the future in a certain way, and so then the question is, what is the last court ruling on the books? And right now, it's this federal court saying. The CDC's authority is vastly limited. So, you know, there, there's a chance that they want to appeal it just mostly for kind of future use. But then then the risk for the Biden administration is it ends up in the Supreme Court, which is um, not, that won't work. not <laughs> going to be as friendly to them. Mm-hmm. And then you've got a nationwide precedent. So it's it's interesting um, yeah. that they're appealing it. I, I guess I'm a little surprised, but, um, you know, we'll see. I would say on my bus, uh, Mask wearing is probably 80, 90 percent still light rail, 50, 60 percent. David, I thought of you as a transportation reporter. Are there is there's no chance in the world that airplanes or trains or buses or anybody goes to a masked, unmasked 
section, right? Oh. <laughs> because I'm smoking, standing, there, -smoking. I'm yeah, standing right. there in my mask, and no. people are walking on, and they're standing. They could be anywhere, and unmasked people having a conversation walk up and stand next to me. I'm thinking, yeah, I don't blame you. I'd want to be next to me either, but go over there. <laughs> no, I mean the the sound you know sound transit doesn't doesn't even have enough fair ambassadors to check yeah, for fares, yeah, yeah. let okay. alone to and you know how popular they are separate yeah. cars. So yeah, yeah. yeah I, on the ferry system, I was on the ferry the yesterday, I guess, and that I would say was probably twenty five percent masked. Although of course ferries are you know they're much bigger and everyone had their own booth and was eating breakfast, yeah. but. Yeah, I was, and this is the Bainbridge route, Bainbridge to Seattle route. So not exactly an anti-masker bastion, but mm -hmm. um, I, I, so I was, I was kind of surprised that it was as low as it was, but you know, again, it's a big space and people have lots of room, unlike a, a bus maybe. Well, I was and, and, following the the Mike uh, Lindblom Twitter account on this and he was reporting, you know, like you were, Bill, something like 80 or 90% of folks are voluntarily, you know, taking the option of just wearing them anyway. Yeah. And that, I don't think that's a surprise that people are still masking in these cramped spaces, you know, because Seattle is a science oriented kind of place. You can see the tech geeks, you know, looking up all the numbers and trying to figure out what are the odds and the percentages, you know, it will depend on your individual circumstances or those of other people in your life. For example, if you have immune compromised people in your life, you might behave differently than someone who doesn't. Uh, I'm going to wear masks on buses, trains, planes for a long time, just because I've, I've been trying pretty hard not to get COVID. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then you'll listen to King County Health and you'll, they'll say, we recommend masks. I mean, it's bloody mm. confusing out there. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I think people will, will decide what to do based on their circumstance, of course. Yeah. And I, I think it was a situation where it was a difficult, I mean, we were not in the habit of wearing masks in different situations, at least here in the U.S. a couple of years ago when the pandemic hit. And now we've really established a habit over the past couple of years. I think that's hard to break, too, on the backside of it to not wear a mask. It, it is difficult for me to consider the idea of not wearing a mask in a crowded situation like a bus or a plane. I've really enjoyed not being sick and knock on wood, I remain that way uh, over the last couple of years. And I'm not talking about just COVID. I haven't had that cold or whatever else. So mm. I've enjoyed that. And I think the mask definitely played a role in that. So I think this is going to be, again, kind of that growing pains coming out of this as people are more comfortable with not wearing masks and, and seeing what that looks like. Yeah. Before we leave the topic of COVID and roll on here with the weekend review, Joni, you were talking about some office data tracking companies saying that Seattle workers are especially reluctant to go back to the office. Why do you think that is and why does that matter? Well, did you see that study, that other study this week, the one that said of all the large cities in the U.S., Seattle has the highest share of physically active adults. So think of this now as a time management thing. You know, we've all changed a lot from COVID. Um, we manage our days differently. We got to, that 85% has to fit in a workout. It takes time. And I've said before, and I'll say it again, the number one job perk, if you talk to recruiters, especially tech recruiters, is work from home, remote. People are not eager to give this, this perk up. Yeah. Not good for some, um, for, for people, you know, there are a lot of reasons why, for, for wanting people to come back to work, economic reasons, and, you know, one, just wanting more of a presence of people downtown. Yeah, it's interesting to see those stats there. And I think a little bit, uh, a few other things play into that too. And the Downtown Seattle Association will tell you there still are some public safety concerns around the downtown area that maybe a few people are leery about that. I know that 
David can tell us about the transit ridership. That's certainly down. And that was a main driver for getting people to downtown, at least before the pandemic. So there's a number of different factors there, all impacted by COVID, of course. But uh, yeah, downtown Seattle is going to take a while to really grow back. You can't just flip the switch off an economy and then expect to turn it back on that quickly, I think, is, is the part of this, too. Yeah. I'm surprised that I think it was downtown Seattle Association is predicting 70%. I mean, I think we're at 30, somewhere around 30, 35% yeah. right yeah. now. And, and, and DSA is predicting 70% by June. I, that seems, I think that's a little optimistic. I think that's not going to happen unless they want to count the tourists or something like that. All right. Finally, on, uh, on COVID, uh, the Mariners manager and three players at least and a bunch of coaches, uh, they're all out. So they cannot listen to McLemore at the seventh inning stretch. Yes, mm. McLemore, not the Kingsman doing Louie Louie. We'll, uh, we'll touch on that a little bit later on the show. Let's take a quick break. Um, by the way, we're, we're doing this show uh, visually as well. You can join us online. We're on YouTube and Facebook. Just search KUOW Public Radio. We're going to take a short break here, and we're going to hear a little from President Biden, who's in Seattle. So don't go away. This is KUOW's Bill Radke helping catch you up on the week in review, and you're in good hands with the Seattle Times transportation reporter David Croman, Seattle Channel host and producer Brian Callanan, political analyst and contributing columnist Joni Balter, and you can follow us online. We're on the uh, YouTube and we're on the Facebook. Just search KUOW Public Radio. Okay, on with the news of the week. President Biden's in Seattle, first time since becoming president. He just delivered an Earth Day speech at Seward Park and signed an executive order aimed at protecting old growth forests from wildfires. So today I'm about to sign an executive order to strengthen our forest on federal lands and make them and the local economies they support more resilient in the face of wildfires. I've flown over every major wildfire in this country with FEMA since, uh, not every, a couple I didn't, but the vast majority of them. And it's devastating. I've seen it from helicopters with FEMA just flying over here, Idaho. I didn't get to go to Oregon, California. It's absolutely devastating. So we're going to work with state and local and tribal governments to map, catalog, and then conserve old growth forests on our public lands. Joni, any more to say about what this order, you know, I'm so used to climate change goals and promises, and it's not really the same as action. What tree is going to get saved? What, 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 did, what, is, what has Biden actually done? So I, I actually wrote down the exact quote he just gave because I was watching it um, on the live feed here. I live about a half mile from where he was speaking. I've been listening to the helicopters overhead most of the morning. Mm -hmm. um, he wants to, you know, he can't just tell you today, I am going to take this many trees and not have them logged. Uh, he, as he said, map, categorize and preserve. He's going to inventory the forest and, and seek to plant 1.2 billion new trees. But in the, in the course of that, and again, it is in the future, and by that it's kind of annoying, uh, figure out what <laughs> oh, old growth and second growth trees he can possibly preserve. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he called the old growth trees the, the lungs of the planet, you know. Mm -hmm. And it is true that, it, that they, um, incre they sequester incredible amounts of carbon. That's his language on that. And that's his reasoning. Uh, we, what I took from this, you know, I've been following some of the state old growth cuts and some of the complaints that the Department of Natural Resources here in our state is allowing too many of these trees to be cut. 
at this time for this exact reason, because they do help you uh, with climate change. It's, it's a good idea to do this. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a shame that it's, you know, sort of uh, far on the horizon. But, you know, if, if Biden can, he's going to he's going to make it make this stuff happen. It's not just daydreaming. OK, uh, David Croman, Biden's also here talking up the infrastructure package that he got through Congress. How, how does that package address climate change? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a good question, because if you ask a lot of uh, transit advocates, they say, in fact, it invests fairly heavily in roads and highways, in highways um, yeah. uh, which it does. Um, you know, I think there's some clean energy money in there. I mean, I, it is interesting that he's he's coming here to Seattle and the Northwest in general to promote this. Um, I, you know, it's it's not often a president comes to the Northwest I think there's probably some political calculations. I mean, he's trying to kind of show to his base that uh, he's getting stuff done. Um, and this, you know, if there's, if there's anywhere that has a Joe Biden base, you would think it's Washington and Oregon. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. It's I, I haven't really gotten the skinny on, on why this area in particular makes sense for him to, to be celebrating this. Yeah, Brian, why not a swing state? How about fundraising? Yeah, it's yeah, that. That. No? yeah, it yeah. is. And and I was going to bring Brad up Smith's house. Yeah, right, 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 right. And and just the other piece of it. I mean, Biden speaking down at Green River College in Auburn, uh, go Gators uh, just happens to be in Congressional District 8, which is where Kim Schreier is really in the fight for her political life this fall. Right. She had a really tough race a couple of years ago. You'll remember against Jesse Jensen, who was a relative political unknown. And now she's got Reagan Dunn in her sights in terms of an opponent coming up this fall. So I, I think this is a big uh, a, a big piece of this is to try to help her out with her her work there. And these these midterm elections are a lot closer than you think. Uh, so I think that's a piece of this, too. And I just in terms of what David was saying as well, I really think it's this idea of trying to promote this American Rescue Plan, one point nine trillion dollars that Biden was able to get from the legislature there at the national level. And it's helped a lot of local governments and it's helped a lot of people put money in their pockets or whatever else. But not a lot of people talk about it because I think the flip side of it is a lot of critics would say it's it's hurt our economy in terms of adding inflation. You got a lot of people have some extra money for demand, but we don't have the supplies in in hand. So it's a challenge for him. And I think he's trying to work on that message, too. So, look, Joe Biden is not particularly adept at um, beating his own chest with things that have gone well. This guy needed to get out of D.C. and crow about some of the successes he has. Uh, And so it's showtime, as you're saying, because um, the election is a coming. Uh, And and Biden does have some legitimate good news on the economy, like unemployment below 4 percent. The economy added 431,000 jobs last month. We have this historically low uh, unemployment claims. So, look, if Donald Trump had those kind of numbers, he would slap them on billboards all over the country and he'd be shouting from the from the treetops, the rooftops. Wait a minute. He's still shouting from the rooftops. (laughs) Right. True. Uh, You know, here Biden is in Seattle talking, uh, talking about the importance of action on climate change, except he's also drilling for more oil and gas uh, because of he says because of high gas prices. He just opened up 100,000 acres of public lands for drilling, which is why activists like Seattle's Thomas Meyer uh, were telling KUOW he was going to protest this Earth Day speech. Every time the federal government makes plans to drill for more oil and burn more oil or gas or coal, we're just digging ourselves deeper into a hole 
and we have very little time to turn our entire energy system around. So all these cross currents, do you feel like Biden is coming away? What, what's he coming away with? Is he raising money that he wouldn't have raised otherwise? Is he um, is he just uh, in, inflaming people in the Pacific Northwest who don't like his climate policies? What does this add up to this week? It just feels like such a can't win, Bill, because I think a lot of the critics that Biden has, and David touched on this earlier, would say that he has not gone far enough with regard to his climate policies here. And certainly the drilling for oil would indicate that piece of it. But then you've got his critics, of course, on on the right who would say that he's, he's pushing things too far and did so with his one point nine trillion dollar plan there for the American Rescue Act. So I, I'm, I'm not quite sure how he comes out of this. But again, you can't You can't keep everybody happy all the time. And I think he's just trying to, where he can, uh, push this agenda of the uh, rescue plan that he worked on there and also stump for those local candidates. Those are the main things that I'm seeing him push for when he's here in the Seattle area. Well, there's nothing wrong with trying to address a bunch of different issues that people have. There is a malaise in this country about prices, about inflation. Uh, He cleverly calls on many of the increases, Putin's price hike. Yes. That's good messaging. It's a day, you know, it's a legitimate, a daily annoyance and hardship for folks that they're really facing. So um, he's also tapping the strategic petroleum reserve, which a lot of environmentalists probably don't like, Mm -hmm. but, you know, he has to try to give people hope about, or, or, you know, some sign of progress that maybe gas prices would drop. He should, should probably tell us, when they might drop. Maybe he doesn't know because Ukraine is so um, unpredictable. Okay. Well, if, if um, you know, Biden's going to fly out of SeaTac this afternoon. So if you're going to the airport <clears throat> and you get stuck in a presidential traffic jam because you didn't take light rail, uh, now you know why. Speaking of traffic. That said, that said light rail is currently uh, closed in South Seattle because of. Uh, oh, is that right? All the freeways is closed. Because like of the Biden people. visit, light rail is closed as well? Well, the one on MLK is is surface surface, so yeah, yeah. they. Uh, okay. I think it might be maybe it's reopened now, but for it was briefly closed there. So. Let's talk about another kind of traffic jam. Some uh, road rage happened over the weekend at Pike Place Market, which got uh, at least the Seattle Times bringing up this old debate: Should we let cars drive into the market on that brick road called Pike Place? Uh, this is this is also being discussed uh, on the city council level. So first, David, what what happened over the weekend at the market? Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a hairy and kind of chaotic situation. Ba- basically, the the short of it is first two drivers got into kind of a road rage fight with some shoving. And then a third driver saw thought it was a good idea to get involved um, and pulled out a hammer and smashed out the rear windshield of one driver. That driver then stole the hammer and smashed out the front windshield. Um, kind of a whole messy situation. But the the kind of most tragic part of it was one of the drivers got back in their car, floored it and, and hit a woman um, who was not, who's just a bystander. I, th- I think she worked down there um, from what I have heard has, you know, non-life-threatening, but like serious enough injuries that she needs surgery um, was taken to Harborview. It's, you know, not, not good and, you know, pretty legitimate injuries. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was, it was a pretty hairy scene down there. Two, two people, two of the drivers ended up getting arrested. Yeah. Okay. So as as for this disagreement over whether or not to ban cars from the market, KUOW talked to a couple of people here down at the market, somebody named Aldridge, who's worked there for a while and wants cars restricted. Even just like crossing the street to like go get something to eat, like it definitely shakes you up. It's just it's not very safe to have cars around here. 
But on the other hand, John Wiley owns a photography studio there and wants car access to continue. I don't want the street to close because I think it's just one more step away from it being an actual honest working market. And if we close the street, then it's just going to be like a boutique. Like a boutique, Joni. What does that mean? What's the debate here? Well, uh, it's a legitimate debate. We've had it for a long, long time. Should the, like a should the cars be allowed there? They seem kind of weird and out of place sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we should put the road rage, uh, the, the, the few um, complete idiots, uh incident aside and really be thoughtful about this so for example i thought i was all for uh all pedestrian i like the message of that Uh, i've lived in other countries and really liked uh pedestrian only uh business areas however and this is a the mark of a really good op-ed a piece of writing that makes you stop and rethink what you already believe i read a piece by Peter Steinbrook and a few others that made me not sure about pedestrians only. Can I just read like one or two sentences? Okay. Authenticity is key to the market's remarkable success. It's not a Disney version of a market, but an actual working farmer's market. He goes on to say, you know, pedestrians have the same right to be there as the delivery vehicles, as the rider share uh, drop-offs. So I kind of... I'm rethinking that, to tell you the truth. Peter Steinbrook, you know, has has something to say here. He's the son of Victor Steinbrook, widely credited with saving the market years ago. But Brian, why does it have to be either or? We got yeah. we asked for it. We, we have this community feedback line. You can go to KUOW.org slash feedback. Joe in Greenwood puts it this way. Joe says, I've seen several tourists that don't expect cars in a dense, human-heavy place such as Pike Place. In many places in America and abroad, this would not be a general thoroughfare, but closer to a pedestrian zone where vehicle access is limited, reduced to walking speed. Pedestrians have the right of way. Authorized vehicles could include immediate passenger drop-off and pickup if there's accessibility needs. People who live there need to get to their parking or garage, deliveries, certain times of the day, emergency vehicles. So why can't it just be restricted, Brian? I I think that is going to be the answer that emerges from this bill. And uh, uh, David put out some great stats about this in his piece about this, because there have been a number of different collisions down there in the Pike Place market area that have involved pedestrians or whatever else. And this reminds me so much of the debate that uh, our city had more than a decade ago with regard to bike lanes uh, all over the city. And I think if you're going to be real about making sure that pedestrians and cyclists are safe, you've got to do something about it from a, a from a, an infrastructural point of view. So does that mean tearing up the whole street, getting those bricks out of there and putting down something new? I don't think so. I think that would be awful for the market. But I think some sort of different campaign where you can have um, – limited times that these delivery drivers would be there, where you can have limited times when uh, actual regular old folks can drop off, pick up people or whatever else. I feel like that's the answer coming forward, because if you set up these polls of black versus white, it's going to be pedestrians only versus uh, cars, uh, cars allowed there. I think you're going down the wrong path. And and definitely in terms of talking with members of the Seattle City Council, Andrew Lewis, whose district includes that area of Pike Place Market, is saying nobody's talking about that. This isn't a situation where uh, everybody's saying, you know, we need to ban cars completely. We need to ban, uh, ban pedestrians from these areas, whatever else. I think there's going to be a position here in the middle. I hope it emerges here where we can find some sanity and hopefully avoid some of these different uh, deaths and collisions that are happening down there and injuries too. But David Croman... 
uh, Seattle Times transportation reporter. We've, as we've said, we've had this. We could have done this decades ago. We've had this conversation forever. So, I guess final word with with you on what's going to happen, if anything, to change at the market. Um, I, I will say that at first, you know, first I'll say it's it's probably going to be a slow process. I, I think everybody involved understands. Wait, Seattle uh, slow process? Get out of here! Mm-hmm. No, as slow uh, as slow I, as know, trying to drive. Have you ever tried to drive through the market it on ain't Pike fun. Place? Oh my! Well, wait God. a minute. That is one of the things that the um, Steinbrook piece mentioned: that the sheer number of people on the street is what keeps the cars slow moving. And so you shouldn't be shocked if you're a tourist. You should check it, you know, and find out. You should also, uh, according to this piece, embrace the fact that they are slow moving, that the people on the street actually keep it that way. David, go on. Um, yeah, I was just saying that, um, you know, I, I, I wrote a piece about this a few months ago, but, you know, well before this road rage incident. I was talking to uh, Mary Baccarella, the uh, executive director of the Public Develop- Development Authority down there, and you know, I thought I thought she had a had an interesting point. She she was not really taking a stand on this, but kind of had an interesting point, which is I, I think everybody involved is is acutely aware that the the market predates them by many many years, by a hundred years, and will continue and will outlast them. And so I think just there's this sense of like caution of you know no individual wants to do anything that they worry is going to change the essential dynamic of the market. And so, um, and I think that's true for everybody having this discussion. And so the reason I say it's probably going to be slow is because um, I don't, I don't think anyone's going to want to take any steps without having had fairly extensive conversations with, with interests down there. Um, my sense is so far, those conversations haven't, haven't really happened in any kind of um, major way, but um, yeah, I, I imagine. Um, so I imagine it'll be slow, but I, I agree that, uh, with Brian, that um, the momentum feels a bit like it's moving towards this, you know, certainly not banning all cars, but some kind of new system, um, which is basically geared towards preventing like a tourist who wants to just go see the original Starbucks from driving down that street when maybe they didn't even mean to in the first place. No. Um, I Have you ever been in that situation? You just may accidentally make that. No. Because Google Maps, Google Maps tells you to go to drive down that street. If you put in the directions, you'll it'll send you down Pike Place. Uh, And I I don't know that I don't know that anyone is happy with that result. And so the (laughs) the the question the question is, you know, it does feel like it's kind of moving towards this. uh, Yeah, deliveries, ADA access, Mm -hmm. maybe some kind of Uber Eats, DoorDash stuff, Mm -hmm. maybe some kind of like residence exception. I I don't know, but. you know, I haven't, I have not yet heard anyone make a full-throated argument for um, random tourists who, who didn't intend to drive down there to, to continue to drive down there. But the question is, can you kind of strike the balance between um, making sure those folks are not on that street and yet still maintaining proper access for the people who might actually need it? Bill, get Google on the phone. We, we got to take care of this. I mean, there's got to be a way. Gas is five dollars. Who can or six dollars? Who can afford to be idling on the on the bricks of Pike Place for the right. nine years that you'll be there if you made that fateful turn? Uh, okay, let's pause there on Week in Review. Uh, we're catching you up. We're we're also doing the show on YouTube and Facebook um, right here when you search KOW Public Radio. Thanks for the comments from listeners. As I said, you can join that community feedback by just going to kuw.org/feedback. And we've got to David Croman, Brian Callanan, and Joni Balter here to continue with the week in review after we take this short break. 
It's KUOW's Week in Review with Seattle Channel's Brian Callanan and Seattle Times' David Croman and columnist Joni Balter. I'm Bill Radke. Continuing now, we, uh, you know, if your road rage is a misdemeanor, then maybe the uh, city of Seattle doesn't have the bandwidth to prosecute you because, uh, you know, one reason Seattle elected a Republican city attorney last fall is she promised to do more prosecuting. Too many people were going unpunished. So why is Ann Davison now saying her office will decline to prosecute nearly 2,000 misdemeanor cases referred by Seattle police? What's going on there? This is an interesting one to unpack. And when you think about Ann Davison really ran on a tough on crime platform when she ran last fall. And I think this is requiring her now to realize some nuance in her message there, because what she's faced with is a as she would put it, a backlog of cases, nearly 5,000 of them. And what she's decided in terms of looking at some of these, some of them are upwards of a year old, even two years old in some cases. So she's got to figure out some way to clear these things out. The unfortunate part of it is the cases we're talking about involve property destruction, theft, criminal trespass, some of the things she said she really wanted to crack down on. But the fact of the matter is she's dealing with a very cumbersome court system. And If she doesn't get rid of some of these cases, then she's not going to be able to do what she wants to, which is crack down on crime in a similar way. So I'm interested to see how she's going to nuance this. And I'm especially interested in this because coming up next week, she's going to be talking with the city council about this and specifically asking for more funding for her criminal division. And I'm not quite sure the Seattle City Council's on board with that. So it's going to be interesting to see how that one breaks down. But she has a big, big uh, job ahead of her in, term, in terms of nuancing a message she was really hard and fast on back last fall. David, is this nuancing? Is this realism, flexibility, hypocrisy? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's always there's always a bit of a gap between campaigning and, and actually governing. And, um, y- you know, I mean, the the Seattle Municipal Court, in per- like all, all courts have been really backlogged because of COVID. Uh, they have not done in-person jury trials. They basically called off a lot of trials. Seattle Municipal Court, interestingly, is uniquely um, ill-positioned coming out of COVID because there's this kind of rule on the books that they can't add extra judges. They can't expand their court system. So King County Court, they can bring in pro tem judges and kind of bring on extras to to work through some of these backlogs. They can't do that in Seattle Municipal Court. And so oh. um, that that system has been particularly backlogged. Um, and, and, you know, we knew this on the campaign trail. It was, it was always going to be the case that when she, and Pete Holmes was pretty clear about this, that there's this big backlog. Um, you know, he, he would always push back on accusations that he was too soft on crime by saying, well, I mean, we have to prioritize. Um, and, you know, I, I, it turns out he wasn't really, he wasn't lying. I mean, the, these cases exist. The backlog is there. You know, I think Ann Davison would say this is kind of a one-time thing to get caught up and, um, She's going to ask for more money and hopefully add more criminal prosecutors and therefore kind of move through this stuff. Um, You know, and as Brian said, a lot of these cases are really old. So once cases get old, they get harder and harder to prosecute. Um, So, you know, I mean, it's a really interesting thing that happened. Uh, I will be most curious kind of going into the future, whether um, this is reflective of uh, a, a kind of is, this turns out to be a reality check that she always has to make these prioritizations or if this ends up being kind of a one-time thing to get caught up. I think you're right that it's going to be a one-time thing. And I also think this is part of the recalibration of Ann Davidson, you know, a one-time Republican in a progressive city. 
it seems to me to be pragmatic, uh, common sense practice. She inherited this big backlog. The cases are really old. They're going to be really hard to, to prosecute. And in general, I like her idea of going after more recent crimes. So the punishment is close enough in time to, to, the, offense, to the offense. And I like her idea of going after, I'll call them frequent flyers, you know, people who have uh, 12 or more misdemeanor referrals. Uh, that's a practical way to make the streets safer, which the mayor has said he's going to do, too. OK, so let's end here on what so on what voters might be wondering, because if Ann Davison was elected because voters believed that less prosecution means more crime. Well, journalists, does this decision not to prosecute 2000 people, is that going to mean more crime? Boy, I don't know. I mean, we're talking about so many past cases here, Bill. I, I think the outward appearance of it doesn't look all that good from that original message. But again, as David was saying, it's a different thing to run on a campaign and then actually do the job. So I, I think we'll see how this plays out. I think we're going to see a lot more on this debate as she talks to the city council next week. And I'm really anxious to hear about that, because if you look at the city attorney's office, the way it has been built over the past several years is basically the criminal division is half of what the civil division is in terms of dollars that are spent there, in terms of where resources go. And the city has a lot of different lawsuits that are facing it. Civil affairs we're talking about here, like people suing them, uh, merchants in the chop there, for example, saying, hey, we need some restitution here or whatever else. So in terms of this argument going forward, yes, are these criminal cases important? Of course, we're going to hear more about that from the uh, city attorney's office for sure. But I really want to make sure that uh, that the city attorney's office, and I know the council is going to be talking about this, is keeping an, keep an eye on the civil side of things, too. OK, well, city of Seattle's having all this law enforcement talk while not having a permanent police chief. And meanwhile, King County doesn't have a permanent law enforcement chief. They just named three finalists for King County Sheriff, including the current interim sheriff. So what is at stake here? Do, do these finalists have different takes on policing? What, what should listeners know? It's kind of an insider-outsider type thing here, Bill, in terms of what's going on. We've got Patty Cole Tyndall, who is currently the interim sheriff of King County Sheriff's Office. Originally, she said she wasn't going to run for the permanent job. Now she threw her hat in the ring, and King County Executive uh, Dow Constantine said, that's okay, go right ahead. Along with her, you've got Charles Kimball, who's currently the chief of police uh, from Killeen, Texas, and you have Reginald Mormon, who's a major in the Atlanta Police Department down in Georgia. So do you want that person who has been in the job or do you want someone who is from the outside? That's where I see this debate really coming down. I think it's very important to point out that all of these candidates involved here are African-American. They are people of color here. Patty Cole Tyndall, when she was appointed last year, was the first person of color to actually hold that sheriff's job in King County. So that's a big deal. So I think we're seeing some pieces of progress there. But as this plays out, and all three of these candidates have been doing public forums this week, yesterday and on the uh, 18th as well. So they're going to be getting some more public feedback. King County is on this. And then the big piece of this overall, I think, is the fact that we are not voting on a King County sheriff now. As you might remember, we voted in 2020 to make this an appointed position mm -hmm. by the King County executive. That's what we're going through right now. And we're going to see this process play out over the next month or so as King County Executive uh, Constantine takes in the information about these three. So another way to say this uh, from outside inside is change agent or not change agent. Mm. And, you know, the county sheriff's office is kind of a mess right now. It needs some change. And so I think some of the assessment that will be made by King County Executive Dow Constantine, since he's deciding, will be who's a really strong manager, who's a change agent, 
who can come in here and say no to some of the rank and file and, you know, really be tough. Uh, we all we often have this dispute. Should it be somebody who really, really knows the area and has been here? Or can somebody come from outside and look, you know, more broadly at the situation and tell us what we need? On the uh, Seattle police side, a good example of hiring from the outside would be Kathleen O'Toole. She came from Boston and was widely viewed as a very successful uh, Seattle police chief. Um, I think that I think that it'll come down to something like who can really get in there and make some key changes at this department. And can we give listeners one example of what a, a key change would be? Has, has the county executive said, here's what I want to change? And I'm looking for the person who's going to make that change. Well, we always talk about accountability as one thing that people are still talking about. Uh, I think that uh, they're, they're looking for somebody who can come in and look at the place and make, um, make sure that, they're, that the officers accept some of the cultural changes that have been fought for in recent years, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, too, you're looking at in Patty Cole Dindal. She's got some challenges in this department, especially, Bill, because she was basically the right-hand person for Missy, Mitzi Johanknik, our sheriff right. before her. And Missy, Mitzi Johanknik did not leave on good terms. You had people from the law enforcement side of things and the community side of things who don't often agree. We're saying she needs to step down. She needs to resign. So I think getting out from under that shadow for Patty Cole Tyndall is going to be a big piece of this. And again, I think it goes back to this accountability issue that Joni's talking about, who is going to help keep this office the most accountable, because that is the biggest, biggest piece that all law enforcement agencies across the country are dealing with right now. David Croman, anything to add? I, I would, I guess I just add that, that in recent years, King County Sheriff's Office has been, has gotten some criticism for its follow-up investigations on police shootings. Um, kind of the most high-profile one was uh, a young man, Tommy Lay, who was, who officer shot and killed. And their first report came out and said he had a knife. Uh, in fact, he was holding a ballpoint pen. Mm-hmm. Um and then some of the kind of accountability work that followed that up. And, um, you, you know, I, I get the sense that I, I think there were some other cases too, and I don't want to get too far into specifics uh, on the shoddy memory, but, um, you, you know, I, I think that there has been some questions around, um, you know, what their investigatory process and accountability process internally has looked like. And um, I, I think that that case, as well as the others, was was kind of one of the big drivers for how this referendum uh or, or constitutional amendment, I guess it was, um, mm-hmm. made it to the made it to the ballot in the first place, and why voters approved switching from the elected system to the appointed system. Mm-hmm. That's uh, David Croman from the Seattle Times. We've got columnist Joni Balter, political analyst Joni Balter, and Seattle Channel's Brian Callanan. On Weekend Review, we're driving toward the end of the show here, and I, I, I wanted to uh, to ask what you all think about this, because for more than 30 years, the Seattle Mariners have been playing two songs at the seventh inning stretch. First, they play Take Me Out to the Ball Game, as every team does. And then in Seattle, just as the crowd finishes with three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. It's... Right? That's just a Mariners game. That's what it sounds like. And people are boogieing and the whole thing. So... This is the this is Louie Louie by the Kingsmen, their version of Louie Louie. Uh, actually, the Kingsmen are actually a Portland band, but you know, it's Northwesty anyway. Okay, so that's the that's what we're used to. But now, starting this season, 
and I hadn't been to a Mariners game yet, so I didn't know this until I read it in uh, David's little newspaper. The uh, now the the order is seventh inning stretch. Take me out to the ball game. Three strikes, you're out at the old ball game, and you hear this. So this is Seattle native, not Portlander, but Seattleite Ben Haggerty, a.k.a. Macklemore. The song is Can't Hold Us. And much like Louie Louie, not easy to sing. Return to the Mac. Get up what it is, what it does, what it is, what it isn't. Looking for a better way to get up out of bed instead of getting on the internet and checking a new hit. Get up. First shot comes straight. Okay, got that, Mariners fans? I want you following the bouncing ball uh, on the big screen and singing along with that. So, uh, Louis, Louis, some people are, of course, they, they, they don't like the change, and some do. I'm asking you, Louis, Louis, to Macklemore, good news, bad news, or no news? Who wants to start? I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll start by saying that if you're really trying to sing the words to a song, good luck with Louis, Louis, too. Exactly. You know, and it's like, <laughs> I mean, I, I think I, I've actually read the words before, but I have no idea. I've even sung that song before, I think, at a karaoke place, but I, I have right. no idea what they mean. No so one does. In, I, I'm a bit of a, sure. I try to hold on to old traditions there for sure. So I think it's going to take some getting used to, but um I don't know. I don't mind an update uh, every now and then, and, and we'll we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, if if Macklemore plays Louie Louie at his concert at the Emerald Queen coming up, then we'll know exactly what's going on. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. I kind of thought it was a little funny that the rationale for this was to, like, give the ballpark a new and modern feel and update things a little bit. But I don't know. In the world of, like, pop music and especially, like, that song, that Macklemore song, it already doesn't feel very new to me. <laughs> Because uh, it came out a few years ago. I mean, I, I remember actually being in some other country in 2014 and, and hearing that. So 2014 in the world of pop music is ages. So, uh, you know, if they wanted to update it with something new, I'm not sure that the Macklemore song. Yeah, Ma- Macklemore is playing, as you said, at the Emerald Queen. So, I mean, no. That I, is a that is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. where he's playing. And I, but, but I, I just want to I say love that the story. might sound like an insult, and it's and it's not. I personally, no, no. I like this change, but 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 that is you're right. It's not a new song. Yes, David. I I, I did not know the story until I read Larry Stone's column about this. That the 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 Louis Louis tradition started when the Kingsmen played live at the Kingdom, and then I guess it was that game or maybe the next game. Randy Johnson threw the Mariners' first no hitter, and so and that actually makes me like it. I, I mean, I've been going to Mariners games since I was in kindergarten, and I have this kind of subliminal reaction. The second take me out to the ball game ends, I hear the Louis Louis song, and that's going to be hard for me to break. But I didn't actually realize that there was like a real and solid backstory to why that was the the song, and that that makes me like it even more. So I am I am pro Louis Louis, anti Macklemore. Okay. Yeah, because I mean, the Mariners haven't been to the playoffs since David was in kindergarten. I just want to throw that out there. That's <laughs> no, no, no. I was in, I was in the seventh grade. Okay, okay. All right, just kidding. Just <laughs> checking. Let me take the more unpopular view here. Um, I, I'm from Macklemore. Um, like the ceiling can't hold us. Do you know that's got a sort of active fan component to it? I also love the irony of the retractable roof when the rain stops. The ceiling pulls back, you know, like the ceiling can't hold us. I, what? I, I How like about that. if they did that? Could they could they retract the roof while the fans are singing as if the fans are <laughs> blowing the roof off the place that can't hold us? That's cool. Yeah, it just takes so long for that thing to roll back and forth. That sounds like a cool concept, but it's like, you know, a good 10 minutes for that thing to fully roll back and right. the game might be over by then by the time they rolled it back over there. 
Joni, you I've all know we proud. almost a... didn't have a roof, right? That's that? another story, but There's we that. almost There's didn't that. have a roof. Yeah, yeah I'm, a prou- I'm a proud attendee of the only Mariners rain delay, home yes. rain delay in history. I was at the game when the roof broke halfway through and then yep. they had to delay the game. I was there too, man. I'm sorry we were in different seats, but yeah, <laughs> part of history. Joni, did you get to finish? I no, like I'm all good. I like where you're going with. Okay, so uh, yeah, I say I'm I'm pro change. So um, I like the change up pitch. Bring yeah, Joni and I say bring the Macklemore. Um, you're listening to Week in Review, and we've got what just like three minutes left. And I always like to. So I guess for me and Joni, we just did end up on on a reason to smile. Um, but uh, what else? What's giving? I always want to end on with so so much of the news is 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 grim. So what else is giving you hope? Giving you a lift this week? I got one for you. We've got record store day happening tomorrow all throughout the area. It's really cool. That's when you're going to see a bunch of artists releasing new music. A lot of people out there buying vinyl. My teenage daughter said I wasn't cool enough to talk about this, but I'm going to anyway. So (laughs) check it out. It's really cool and support your local stores out there for sure. Record store day. Okay, good. That's good. Um, I, this is now a couple weeks old, but I, uh, am pleased that the galleys on the ferries are opening again. So, uh, I've always been a fan of, they're, they're of course slightly overpriced, but always been a fan of, uh, sitting on the, on the, the ferry and drinking a beer and eating popcorn. And it's a slice of normalcy that I've missed for the last two years since it closed down during the pandemic and it's yeah. back. Ivers, That's so now, it. Ivers now you're craving powder. those overpriced ferry treats, right? That's right. I know, but compared to you know, compared to a Mariners games, they're they're actually fairly reasonably priced. <laughs> that said, I was on the ferry last night coming home, and I was like, I remembered that this that they were in theory open, and I was really excited to sit and get a beer. But I got one of they're only on one of two Bainbridge Seattle routes. Oh. I got the one. I got the one where it was closed, so I didn't get to do it. Bummer. And now you can stand in the line in at, at in the uh, in the galley there next to a bunch of unmasked people. So that's new as well. Even better. Yeah, even better. Joni, did I and share popcorn and share popcorn? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so I had more of a chuckle this week, and it was when uh, I was watching uh, Biden's Air Force One landing, and he was greeted by these really dark skies, then rain, then rainbows. Uh, and then a little bit of clearing. And I, I heard somebody on the White House press corps saying, oh, we're in we're in Seattle. This is the most Seattle like weather I've ever seen because it yes. kept changing every second. April in Seattle. Welcome, Biden. So is he he's not going. He's, he came from Portland to here. Is he done with the Northwest? Is he? Yeah, know, he's right leaving this afternoon, afternoon for Philadelphia, for Philadelphia, mm-hmm. where they have just um gone doing the double reverse right back their, and forth on the mask mandate mask so he's going back to his home turf there for sure right all right that is week in review we covered a lot of ground um mm-hmm. I, want, I really want to thank my guests that always makes me smile that i when i get to see Joni balter political analyst and contributing columnist and when the seattle times transportation reporter david croman joins us and seattle channel host and producer brian callanan thank you all for being week in review great to Thanks, be with Bill. you bill thanks Thanks, Bill. Great to hear you. Great to see you, which we can do, which you can do because we live stream the show. And for that, I want to thank Tio Popescu and social media. Our social media master is Juan Pablo Chiquiza. 
and we've got Bernard Wallet on the board making everything sound great. I'm Bill Radke. One more message for you. I want to let you know that uh, we're excited to welcome Splendid Table doing a live in-person event here in Seattle. So you get award-winning food writer and host Francis Lamb will explore how Seattle's culinary communities evolved, innovated, and thrived during the pandemic. All this on Friday, a week from today, Friday the 29th at 7 o'clock, Benaroya Hall. Learn more and get tickets at KUOW.org events. I'll see you next week on Week in Review.